Welcome to the HBR IdeaCast from Harvard Business Review. I'm Allison Beard. Today, we're going to talk about a phenomenon that most of us are familiar with, moonlighting, side hustles, second jobs. We typically think of these things as an escape or distraction from real work, something people do at night and on weekends because they need the money, hate their organization, or dream of doing something totally different with their lives. But today's guests say that any ambitious professional needs a side gig, not for cash or fun or as a backup plan, but to enhance their existing careers. They think these extra projects and jobs should be meaningful and strategic. And they say we have to learn how to find them and fit them into our busy schedules. Ken Banta is the founder of the Vanguard Network and Orlin Boston is a partner at Ernst & Young. Together, they wrote the HBR article, The Strategic Sidekick, and they join me now. Welcome. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Good to be here. So how exactly do you define strategic? What makes for the right kind of side gig? Orlin, why don't we start with you? It's actually something that is strategic, meaning it is well thought out, that you're deliberate uh, about why you took it on in the first place. Uh, It tends to check off a number of boxes. One, are you passionate about it? Two, are there things that you can learn from and develop as a leader from? And can it benefit your organization uh, or your day job in some way? But this goes beyond simple things like training courses or networking, right? Yes, I think it would. You know, uh, those things are valuable. uh, But this is really uh, taking things to a higher level where you're initiating the effort and becoming much more deeply engaged in a work product or work project. Uh, So just to give one example, I could have taken a course in how to uh, lead groups, which I felt I wanted to develop. Uh, But that would be uh, a little mechanical. Uh, So instead, uh, on joining a a not-for-profit board, I deliberately chose to also volunteer to be one of the co-chairs, meaning that I would be not only leading discussions in the board, but leading decision-making. And that's proven very valuable for me in a lot of different ways. It would be hard to duplicate that through, uh, through a course. Yeah, I would take it one step further as well, which is when you take courses, um, I mean, oftentimes you're going to take those with, with folks that you're, are probably already in your industry, uh, perhaps in your same job. When we talk about strategic side gigs, uh, we're really trying to stretch ourselves uh, into areas that, frankly, uh, we may be uncomfortable in because we don't necessarily have that experience. So uh, it could involve everything from uh, advising startups uh, in a particular field that you may not have a lot of experience in, but you may have some parallel uh, experiences that could be valuable to that entrepreneur. Uh, it could involve creative endeavors, whether it's uh, producing a documentary film or it's writing a book on a topic that you want to learn more about and collaborating with folks who are experts in those fields. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it really is about stretching yourself as a leader, uh, as a person. And why is it so important to learn and grow outside your organization, especially when that means that the bosses who are deciding on your promotion or pay aren't actually seeing the development happening? It's actually 
true in some cases that those bosses may not appreciate the outside learning that you're doing, the strategic gig aspect. And that can lead to another set of questions as to whether that's the right organization for you. But typically, you're going to learn so much more externally than you will internally. A good leader will see that value that's being created by your external activity. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's important to keep in mind that with the pace of change in the outside environment in the world today, it is very difficult for academic institutions, corporate learning departments to keep pace with that change. I mean, by the time you are learning within the four walls of your company, um, those topics oftentimes are already becoming irrelevant and, and obsolete. And so you've got to complement it with, with, with outside engagement. Yeah. When you're a rising executive, it can seem really hard to take your eye off the ball. So, you know, aren't there risks to distracting yourself? You know, I, I actually think that the risks of not engaging externally are actually larger than the risks of externally, uh, of internally engaging, right? So, yes, as executives and as uh, leaders in organizations, uh, many of us are in very challenging roles. But if we stop at the boundaries or the borders of our four walls, there's so much that we're going to miss out on. And that's what you've got to compellingly convey to your boss. I think as executives, uh, leaders go higher in their roles in the in a hierarchy, the more and more apparent it becomes that they need uh, other capabilities than those that they gain simply by doing what they're doing harder and faster. And uh, I've... Uh, personally uh, spoken with a lot of CEOs uh, as part of the work uh, I do on leadership development. And it's remarkable how many of them say that they got where they are in part or even in large part by having focused on external activities that developed them in ways they couldn't have developed in the company. So I think um, it's it would certainly seem to be right that you work, you should lock yourself in your office and work harder and harder, but it's actually somewhat counterintuitive that you should not do that and get out. Okay, so let's say that our listeners want to do this. How do they decide exactly what their gig should be if things aren't falling into their laps? Where do they start? I would suggest, uh, and I guess this has been my own experience, what I've done is to think ahead to where you want to be with your career or with your work. It may not be in the same field. In the end, you might have an ambition to move. Well, those calculations should go into your three-dimensional diagram of uh, of, of what you should be focusing on. So, you know, again, uh, in, in a case where someone knows that they are, let's say, in, in, uh, in R&D and they have a very heavy technology or science background, but they don't really have a whole lot of experience in how to uh, lead people uh, laterally or how to work within a corporate structure to get decisions made, then I think what you'd like to do is create a list of uh, attributes that you'd like to develop and then uh, from that, work on what those uh, side gig uh, opportunities should look like. And it kind of comes back to, I think, to what we were talking about earlier, that it's not, it's not only not a bad idea, it's a good idea to do this collaboratively with the person you work for. So they may help you also identify where you have needs for development that you may not recognize. And then that takes you one step closer to what those, what those things or what that thing should be. I think it's equally important to start with what you're passionate about. Uh, I think one of the worst things you can do sometimes is to uh, take on a role 
uh, in, in an area that perhaps you, you're just not passionate about. And I think that's especially important uh, with nonprofit uh, board opportunities. Uh, so I always tell folks who ask for this advice to start with something that you're passionate about, because if you're starting with something you're passionate about, you're going to bring a certain energy and sincerity and authenticity uh, to to that organization that will benefit you and it will, 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 will uh, benefit them. Uh, and then I think when you start from there with sort of the goal in mind, then you can whittle down sort of the list of potential opportunities that, uh, that you want to pursue. Do you find those opportunities through the people at your own organization, through your network? I found that uh, it's a combination of all of those, right? So uh, you've got to put the word out. You've got to let the people that you know uh, in your organization and outside of your organization that you're interested in, in uh, uh, per- perhaps taking on a board uh, uh, opportunity at a nonprofit uh, and be a bit deliberate about what kinds of opportunities uh, in what areas around what causes uh, and what you would bring to those boards. Because that way, folks will, they'll remember that conversation they had with you and uh, keep you in mind and, and reach out to you and say, hey, could this be something that makes sense for you? You know, one thing I'd recommend that uh, is a little counter typical approaches to networking, if you like, uh, which would rely on people you know and organizations you know, uh, which is very valid. Uh, I think it can also be very relevant to reach out cold to organizations that you think you'd like to learn more about and ask uh, one of their executives or leaders uh, to uh, have an informational interview with you or discussion. And uh, sometimes that leads to something new. Uh, I've had that happen several times. So this to me is the the real difficulty. How do people who are already busy with work and family responsibilities find the time to take on these meaningful, strategic, extra jobs? That's the question that we most often get. I mean, we're all very, very busy, uh, not only in our day jobs, but also with our families, right? And so you got to start with something that you're passionate about. There are creative ways that you can um, approach that by, you know, everything from blocking off, you know, hours on your calendar. You can involve the people who are important to you or that you want to spend more time with, whether it be your friends or your spouse or or family members. Um, or you can oftentimes involve folks on your team uh, at your day job who are also looking for opportunities. Folks want to develop their own skills, and so. Uh, by involving them, sometimes you can leverage yourself and find more time uh, that you otherwise wouldn't have found. So a, a good example is Kara Metoff Barnett, and she's the executive director of the American Ballet Theater, and she's the mother of three girls, uh, ages 10, 8, and 4. Uh, and she's been involved with a number of outside activities over the course of her career, uh, everything ranging from being uh, involved with the American Theater Wing and on the Council uh, on Foreign Relations. As you can imagine, with, uh, with, with, with three kids, she really needed to uh, involve her, her spouse and sort of set those boundaries together with her spouse. Uh, you know, over the course of her career, you know, she said, uh, she's had to say no, but she's also said not now to many groups, and she's been deliberate about 
uh, about her schedule and how how she spends her time. But what she said, which to me really you know stood out, was the the key is being present in the room that you're in, whether as a mom at home with 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 your kids, or uh, at the job with your you know your employees, or with the cause of nonprofit or the board that you're involved with. We're all busy, but are we productive? It's a kind of badge of honor for uh, people who are executives to be incredibly busy, and they've got 12-hour day jobs and so forth and so on. But honestly, most of the time, if they were to really analyze how they spend their time, they'd find that they probably have three to four hours out of that 12 that they could basically open up if they just were either more efficient or stop doing things that don't matter so much. So what I found about this side gig concept is that it also helps to force people to truly evaluate what matters and what doesn't in their day. And uh, it's remarkable how much of what you do each day doesn't matter quite as much as you thought. And if you uh, really are a, even a little bit rigorous about that, you can crack open some time for something that really matters. You know, and can you incorporate it into your day job? Can you have a conversation uh, with your boss and, and actually set that as a goal? That You know, you want to build board experience uh, by serving on a nonprofit board. Uh, and all of a sudden, you've got the support of your organization, you've got the support of your boss, and perhaps there are even resources that you can tap into from your company. Yeah, if your boss is initially hesitant, how do you make the case? So sometimes you've got to ask for uh, forgiveness rather than asking for permission from your boss uh, and get it going, right? And when it gets to that point where it's a real opportunity then you've got to think about how you, you have that conversation with your boss and you, you want to tie that to how that's going to make you a better leader uh, in your day job. How, how is that going to make uh, your company better? How does it align to the mission, the purpose, the values of your company? Is that going to bring you or your company access to innovation that they otherwise wouldn't? I think you've got to use that judgment depending on sort of uh, you know, the culture at your company and, and, and the nature of your boss. Uh, to sort of decide when to do that. Because surely sometimes people take on these side gigs and it actually results in them changing careers. Yes. And that's a good thing too. It's not only how do you get uh, yourself into a better position within your existing company, but often how do you position yourself to be doing something completely different? And that's absolutely valid. There was a, a great example of that in our article where Amit Paley, who's the CEO uh, an executive director for the Trevor Project, uh, was a McKinsey consultant uh, at the time and had uh, uh, gotten quite excited about uh, consulting and advising to nonprofits and so got very involved in McKinsey's uh, nonprofit consulting arm and, and got connected to the Trevor Project as a volunteer, as someone who uh, would take those calls from uh, kids in, um, in crisis. That ultimately emerged uh, uh, into a, a board opportunity where he served on the board of the Trevor Project. And after a couple of years, it actually turned into a real job when the board was looking for a new CEO. Uh, they found that they had the perfect candidate sitting on the board. So yes, it can actually turn into job, uh, real job changes and career change uh, opportunities. Although that's not necessarily what we're advising to do, but yes, that, that, that can happen. And I think that can be very positive for folks. So let's flip to the organizational point of view, the manager's point of view. If I'm the boss, how do I support people in doing this? I think one of them is uh, to play a role in helping someone gain better self-awareness of what they 
are good at and what they need, need to want to improve on. That's one aspect. And also to help them become better aware of what their future goals are. And, uh, you know, in my case, I've uh, benefited from leaders who have said, look, you know, uh, you are talking about wanting to do a sort of very conventional thing because that's the conventional track, but maybe you'd be better off doing something differently. A good boss uh, starts this discussion with helping the individual to develop that self-awareness. I think it also helps when that boss uh, is doing that him or herself, uh, whether they you know, serve as role models of you know being on boards or or, or having pursued outside uh, activities. Now that doesn't always happen, but if that's not happening, then it's uh, you know creating an environment where it's okay, where where they're encouraging their employees to again look for opportunities that align and are consistent with the values uh, of the company, putting this in, into their goals, evaluating them, rewarding them. And have you seen organizations? institutionalize any of this? So KKR is uh, you know, a global private equity firm and the program that they instituted uh, was called 40 for 40, which gives employees 40 hours of pay time each year to serve at nonprofits that they feel passionate about. Another example actually at, at my firm, uh, EY, our program's called EY Ripples. We rolled that out about a year ago and that, that encourages our employees to uh, get involved in pro bono uh, engagements with nonprofits that EY has identified as nonprofits that we want to support. And so we've taken that step further in actually connecting our employees to these sorts of opportunities. There are some examples, but not a lot, actually. And it's an interesting question whether a institutionalization of this is necessary or not. It certainly can be valuable in a place like KKR. Obviously, it's been working very well. But uh, once you turn something like this into a kind of corporate process, uh, it can often get uh, processed to death. So to my mind, anyway, this really does require some initiative by the individual and not uh, necessarily to be a program that's served up to them within the organization. Does this work as well in other countries or cultures that aren't quite as entrepreneurial as the United States? That's a really good question. I think it does depend a great deal on the culture that you're in, and I don't have any evidence for it, but I suspect that it works better in some places than others. For example, in uh, cultures that are, have a place a high degree of value on conformity and on doing things by the rules, this is going to be a little harder to see taking root. Uh, whereas in more free-flowing places and more entrepreneurial environments, I think it's more likely to succeed. My sense, uh, and and from what I've seen and talking to a lot of folks, is that probably Western culture, uh, this is a bit more accepted. Although, interestingly enough, uh, the article got quite a bit of uh, play in, in Asia, specifically in India, uh, where Ken and I got a, a lot of response from a social media perspective. What I think is that in places where it may not be as commonly accepted, it's still going on. It's just that uh, these companies don't know it. Uh, and many employees are doing this uh, secretly, basically. Uh, and so what we're saying is, you know what? Let's open that up. Let's be honest about it. Uh, let's be strategic about how you approach those and bring Bring those outside engagement activities, you know, into the fold with your day job, because when that happens, it's mutually beneficial 
for your day job, your company, the cause that you're involved with, and for you as a leader. So we're obviously in the middle of a crisis. We're all taping this from our respective homes um, in an economic downturn that might last for some time. Is any of this possible in our current moment? You know, I was thinking about that too, just uh, before we started our conversation. And I think the answer is absolutely yes. You know, there's there's so many things that are happening uh, that are negative, but there are also a lot of things happening that have a lot of promise. And one of the uh, things that's got huge potential is linking in and connecting with people electronically in ways that weren't so common before. So obviously the Zoom uh, culture that we're in suddenly uh, has a lot of downsides to it. But one of the pluses is that you it, it's much more acceptable to engage with a person outside your organization to find out what they do or how the organization works or whether uh, you might be able to help in some way. And it's uh, remarkable, I think, how much faster you can create uh, a relationship in that, in that way versus waiting uh, two months to set a, a, a meeting over lunch or something. The other thing I think that it's pointed out to me is millennials or people who are at least that age today, whatever, however you want to look at it. But, you know, I think they're very impatient with uh, conventional structures and career paths and other elements of uh, corporate life or business life. And so I think that uh, this this period is somehow liberating people to think even more uh, creatively about what they really want to do with themselves. Yeah, it seems like uh, this has really struck a chord, particularly uh, in this environment, uh, where folks have a bit more time to sort of reflect on their current lives, you know, their careers, and, and how they want to spend their time going forward. If you're already involved in some of these things, well, you know, doing them virtually uh, has, at least for me personally, has been fairly seamless uh, for the nonprofits that I'm involved with. Uh, but even when you're seeking those out, uh, I think the the same advice applies, right? Putting the word out uh, uh, about your interests, letting folks uh, who you know, uh, who serve on these boards, letting them know, you know, can you help? Yeah. So what are each of your favorite side gigs that you've taken on in your own lives and how did they help you? One of them uh, is the uh, board work that I've mentioned before uh, with a uh, not-for-profit that uh, focuses on solving uh, for homelessness uh, versus just sheltering people, uh, but really solving for it. And uh, I was really passionate about the cause, but then I really uh, developed a a sense of purpose around learning how to be a co-chair of a a board of an organization like that, because I wanted to uh, really develop my own ability to lead, sometimes lead from behind, uh, perhaps be more situational leadership uh, perspective. And so that's been a tremendous uh, asset for me in a whole lot of different situations since then. Um, the other thing that I uh, did that uh, I, I felt very strongly about is uh, consciously taking on a, a series of um, mentees from my own undergraduate college. And that certainly is a, a good thing to be doing in itself. But I think what I purposely wanted to learn was really how to uh, help others uh, develop themselves in a kind of a coaching sounding board fashion. And that's really become very valuable in my current work. I'm doing an increasing amount of advising of uh, C-suite leaders and doing it in a very, um, I'd say, sort of interactive way and more as, again, more as a sounding board than providing them with a series of 
steps one through five to success. Uh, and that's proven really beneficial for me and also really interesting. I'll give you a couple as well. Uh, the one from a while ago was uh, a coffee table book project that came my way through a friend of mine who was a fashion photographer who had published uh, coffee table books in the past. And he told me that he wanted to do one on environmentalists uh, and really portray them and show different sides of what environmentalists of today look like uh, and and feature their causes. And, and one day he uh, called me sort of in a panic because the reporter that he had lined up to interview Fabian Cousteau for the book uh, fell through. Uh, and so he said, would you mind doing the interview? And, and at, I, at first I thought, well, what do I know about sustainability and uh, <laughs> environmentalism? And, and how, you know, how could I interview one of Jacques Cousteau's grandsons, right? But then I thought, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a management consultant. I interview executives all the time. Well, let me get a bit smart, smarter about the topic. And so I did that. And, you know, I, I did that interview and and that led to to me doing more and more of those. And, and so I sort of fell into this this book project where, where I got the chance to interview folks like Ted Turner and Mike Bloomberg and Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Jane Goodall. I mean, just a whole host of fascinating folks. And what I found by getting involved in what was a coffee table book project actually uh, helped me become a better interviewer, uh, learn more about a topic that I didn't know much about, which was sustainability, which I was interested in learning more about, uh, build confidence in, 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 in engaging with world figures. Uh, and so that was a fun project because uh, it definitely uh, tested me in ways that I, I wouldn't have been tested at at the time at my current job. And then more, more recently, uh, I've gotten involved with uh, Goldman Sachs's launch with GS, which is a social impact fund. It's about a half a billion dollar fund that is exclusively investing in women, uh, black and Latino owned uh, startup companies uh, and entrepreneurs because uh, uh, women get access to less than 3% of all the venture and uh, growth capital out there. And black and Latino founders get uh, get 1% of all of that. And so they assembled uh, this advisory board of, uh, of entrepreneurs and um, and investors of color, and 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 I was asked to to join that. Uh, but you know, uh, once I understood sort of the cause and what they were trying to do, which was moving move the the needle on an issue that I think is really important that I was very passionate about, I made the time to say yes. Well, terrific! Thank you both for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. And this has been a, this has stimulated some thinking for me anyway, as well, on top of what we've already done in this area. That's Vanguard Network founder Ken Banta and Ernst & Young partner Orlin Boston, co-authors of the article The Strategic Sidekick. You can find it in the May-June issue of Harvard Business Review or at hbr.org. This episode was produced by Mary Dew. We get technical help from Rob Eckhart. Adam Buckholz is our audio product manager. Thanks for listening to the HBR IdeaCast. I'm Allison Beard.